3: This podcast is brought to you by N by Neutralite, exclusively from Amway. This novel new brand is an experiential wellness line created to empower your mind and enrich your body, to help you be more you, because you are unstoppable. And N products will help you meet your goals every day. Because with N by Neutralite, you got this. Follow us on Instagram at Neutralite US.
4: It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. Welcome back to the Inside
3: the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. I am Dan Wolken Paul Meyerberg is here as well. Later in the show, an interview with our colleague Steve Berkowitz and attorney Bob Latinville to talk about the USA Today Sports annual coach's salary. package that we roll out every year and some very interesting developments in the world of coaching contracts. So we'll talk about that as we move along here. But uh, Paul, it was a day that uh, began with wondering whether Nick Saban was going to coach or not because he had tested positive for COVID-19, then he had tested negative, and he had to have three consecutive negative tests to coach. He did coach Alabama ends up beating Georgia, pulling away in the fourth quarter. And as we sit here going through this week's poll, Clemson, number one, they destroyed Georgia tech, Alabama, number two, Notre Dame up to number three. They squeaked by Louisville in kind of an ugly game, uh, 12 to seven, but uh, a win that Brian Kelly was pretty happy with. And then Georgia only down a spot to number four. But <clears throat> Paul, what did we learn about Alabama? What did we learn about Georgia? Uh, I thought Georgia could really defensively disrupt Alabama a bit. And they did for a time, but it just wasn't enough. You, just, you can't have your foot off the gas against this Alabama team because they can just score on you so quick.
5: Yeah, you can't beat 2020 Alabama playing 2011 Alabama football. And not to say that Georgia is that old fashioned, but um, I think the big takeaway for me last night is um, you're going to need to run with Alabama to beat them because they are the utmost example of this uh, you know, revolution of offense that has taken over the SEC. They've embraced the scheme and added in the best, you know, most talented offensive roster in the country. And I think they're unstoppable. Um, certainly with any defense, Georgia entered the game, leading the nation, every single statistical category, and not like after playing, you know, Louisiana Monroe. I mean, they had played three SEC opponents and still led the nation in yards per play, yards per carry and yards per game allowed. So it's a legitimate defense at Alabama. Like you said, outside of a very brief amount of time, really dominated. So the takeaway for me is, Offense beats defense in the sec and elsewhere. And if you're going to beat Alabama, you, you've got to run with them. And Georgia has the bodies, but not it's looked like Georgia's offense is fine, but there's the talent level of their offense career to Alabama's. It's not even a conversation and Alabama blows them out of the water. No disrespect to Georgia. Alabama does that to a lot of teams, but Georgia can't match up offensively with Alabama at all.
3: Well, that was my big thing. I wrote it in the takeaways column that I do on Saturday night. And as good as Georgia is, just the difference between the two teams in terms of skill players is is massive. Um, Georgia's got good skill players, but Alabama's got great skill players and a whole bunch of them. And they find the matchups with those receivers. I mean, you saw early on in the game, you know, even the first touchdown, John Mechie gets matched up on a linebacker that's that's it like it's over the play's over at that point it's a touchdown every time and sark is finding those matchups and if you have even one little letdown you're going to begin the ball back because it's seven points on the board and georgia they were up 24 17 late late in the half alabama gets a 52 yard field goal right at the end of the half a little bit controversial because they got a second back on the clock. Although I didn't think it was that controversial. I thought that was a legit, uh legit call, but you, you start the second half, Georgia punt, punt, interception, interception, Alabama punt, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So if you can't keep pace, if you can't continue scoring the ball, you're, you're going to lose. And you know, the one thing that, uh, we've talked about on this podcast before is Stetson Bennett for, for Georgia, good, solid player, former walk-on, but you don't want to put Stetson Bennett in a position where he's throwing the ball 40 times against Alabama, 18 for 43 interceptions. There's just a ceiling when, when he's the quarterback and, you know, maybe this will be an opportunity for, for Kirby smart to reset and, and try to work JT Daniels in there. But, I just, and again, no disrespect to Stetson Bennett, but I think if he's your starting quarterback, what's going to be different the next time you play Alabama?
5: Yeah, and I think you're right that you're going to have to throw, I mean, 30 plus times to beat Alabama. It's the only way you're going to beat them. Um, it's just not possible to do anything else um, and run with this offense. Uh, a couple, well, first off, the call at the end of the first half was obviously right. You have three seconds you can spike. I thought Georgia... Didn't decide the game, but I thought Georgia, there were a few calls that went against Georgia on defense oh, yeah. that, that did impact the complexion of the game. Doesn't mean that I think they would have won. They weren't helped at all overall by officiating
3: the pass um, interference call that
4: ugh,
3: was, was just not, not good. a good call. Not a good call not at all. Not and well. Obviously, um, you know, and obviously that was a play where if you hold them to a field goal, it's a one score game. They Alabama scores a touchdown. It's a two score game. That's a big difference, but I don't think it decided the game.
5: No, I agree with you. Um, So I I don't think that I'm necessarily a Saban whisperer. Like I can, I can like just look at him and know exactly what he's thinking, but we've all seen him enough to get an impression of his mood um, in terms of, you know, how he feels about his team's performance. Um, The the look on his face afterwards when he was being interviewed by CBS was like as happy a face that I think you're ever going to see Saban have outside of the national championship. So I think that um, the week that was for him, his own team's performance um, against what he obviously, like any rational person, views as the team's biggest threat to win the SEC. I think Alabama's ecstatic about the way they played. And I think in a sense, Saban's really happy about the play of the defense. You mentioned yeah, the Bennett's defense three turnovers. Well. Yeah. The defense did well. And I, and I think there's the recipe. Like Alabama's defense is not, it's not 2011-12 anymore, obviously. I, I don't think you could even have a defense that's that statistically dominant again in this era. But if Alabama's edge rushers and secondary are placed into a situation where they know what's coming, or at least they can attempt to dictate or predict the tempo that plays into Alabama's strengths on defense. So when the ball gets rolling downhill against the Georgia with Stetson Bennett quarterback, it's just ball game. And if you're not Clemson, that's, that's just a recipe for losing. Because if you get into a shootout, I don't think anyone outside of Clemson is going to be able to run with Alabama and, That's it. And that's not unexpected. I mean, it's 2020 back last four or five years. Clemson, Alabama, it's they've separated themselves, in my opinion.
3: I don't want to dwell too much on Saban coaching and how it all happened, but it does sort of bring something up that is worthy of discussion, which is, okay. Saban tests positive for covid on Wednesday. He's asymptomatic. He feels fine. He gets the follow up tests thursday friday saturday morning all come back negative so it appears it was a false positive positive. and you know when you look at how this season is playing out and again false positives happen no no issue from where i sit that, that he coached okay but all of college football is, is being hamstrung by this contact tracing issue where you know, somebody comes up positive on the team and then everybody they had close contact with has got to be held out for, in some cases, like two weeks, 10 days. And that's impacting a lot of teams' ability to play. It's making the season very, very difficult. I sort of wonder, like, okay, well, if Saban can coach after three negative tests, why are some of these players not allowed to play? And and they may never come up with a positive test. You know, that 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 I think is the fallout of this that, that will get some, some conversation in the coming weeks.
5: Yeah. Um, like you said, I don't have a problem with him coaching. Um, but at the same time, even this process to me, the last couple of mm-hmm. days, it's just a reminder of, of you know, this is going to happen. Big 10 pack 12 starting up. This is going to happen. Coaches are going to get catch this COVID Jeff Brown got it. Um, he's sidelined indefinitely. Dan Mullen. Purdue, Dan Mullen. Um, so I'm happy that it was a false positive in that respect, but it doesn't to me say like, Oh, we can take a deep breath and relax. It's a false positive. Uh, And we've, we've got to be very wary for the simple fact that no coach, in my opinion, has been as open and as vocal and as walked the walk in terms of backing up social distancing, wearing a mask and those restrictions, um, than Nick Saban. So, uh, we just all need to be wary and, and be prepared for You know, the next time a coach of Saban's caliber has a positive test, that it's not a false positive. So that's the reminder for me that we can't relax or take it easy at all.
3: Clemson number one in this week's poll, they handled Georgia Tech 73-7. One of the surprising things to me in digging into this game a little bit, it's the first time in Trevor Lawrence's career he has thrown for over 400 yards. I don't know that a lot of people would know that off the top of their head.
5: Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, he's played in the fourth quarter, like three times. That's so true. that's the that's problem. True. And they're always winning by a thousand points. Um, I got the game notes of me yesterday. Like a lot of us from, um, Ross Taylor at Clemson, the game notes were like one of those receipts you get from CVS where it just like <laughs> keeps <laughs> going, going, going and yes. going and going. It was like, first time Clemson has done this first time, this, 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 um, Georgia tech is a mediocre team to worse. Um, and Clemson, I don't know how, like Alabama beat Georgia. I don't know how you could look at Clemson on Saturday and be like, well, yeah, they're the number two team in the country. So the way to stay number one is to have the largest margin of victory in the history of the ACC.
3: Well, and they have 52 out of the 62 first-place votes right now. All right, Notre Dame, number three. Uh, anything worrying about the fact that they really never put away Louisville? It was 12-7. to 7. It was a game that – um they were actually behind for, for a little while. Uh, and they just had to sort of grind it out. You know, they did get a touchdown um, in the third quarter that, that put them in the lead and and that was that, but uh, just kind of a, you know, just kind of a sticky game.
5: Yeah. Listless. I'm a little sluggish for Notre Dame. Um, it's not an issue for me. Louisville's better than their record. Yeah. Um, Everyone is is golden when you're trying to make the college football playoff. Obviously, if you want to like, there, there are two things. Number one, I don't think Notre Dame's the third best team in the country. I don't think they've shown that whatsoever. They're top 10. I don't know about number three. And obviously, you know, they got to play Clemson in, in a couple weeks. And that doesn't really give me a whole lot of confidence. But they're 4-0, you know. and I think Notre Dame is is on track to get a New Year's 6, I think, pretty easily as the second best team in the ACC. And uh, maybe give Clemson a game. I don't know, but I don't put too much stock into just one Saturday for Notre day.
3: All right. As you mentioned Georgia, number four, then a bunch of teams who didn't play. Maybe that's the way you move up this year is just not playing Ohio state. Number five, Oklahoma state, number six, Penn state, seven, Florida, eight, their game against LSU got postponed because they have a bunch of COVID cases. A and M back in the top 10 at number nine, they were number 11 last week. they, did not really blow out mississippi state 28 14 but it was the kind of game where it never felt like they were in trouble whatsoever mississippi state scored one offensive touchdown this is now three offensive touchdowns for mississippi state in the last three games since that lsu blowout so uh the pirate is uh taking on some water here
5: yeah uh texas a&m has more wins than florida um, and also defeated Florida?
3: Yeah, they should be higher than Florida.
5: My God, please, please, people. Coaches, you guys are so smart. You're so great at your jobs. Let's do the right thing. Come on, Gabriel.
3: Cincinnati at number 10, they're 3-0. and Miami at number 11, they uh, had a nice bounce back from uh, getting destroyed at Clemson. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh 31-19. I will not mention the fact that you are the charter member of the pit bandwagon that is now uh, overturned like the Sooner schooner last year.
5: Yeah, it's not good. Uh,
3: Let's talk a little bit about BYU. BYU at number 11 this week. um, They played on Friday night. They beat Houston 43 to 26. They had 478 yards of offense. Zach Wilson threw for four touchdowns, 25 out of 35. BYU's 5-0. Oh. BYU has got a schedule that is going to give them an opportunity to run the table. Uh, Texas State, Western Kentucky, uh, the tough one at Boise State on November 6th. North Alabama and San Diego State. BYU could go undefeated. What do you do with BYU if they go undefeated? And how much are you enjoying the fact that, that they seem like they're a really good team?
5: Yeah, it's been fun to see BYU like be the BYU that we grew up with and just kind of pitch and catch it. Um, if they're unbeaten and Cincinnati's unbeaten, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're not going to leapfrog over a Cincinnati. I, I don't even think they'd leapfrog over a one-loss well, group, uh, you know, American team.
4: Well, I, you I have mean, to remember.
5: Yeah, go ahead.
3: No, I was just going to say, you have to remember, they're not eligible for that group of five
5: no, of spot. No, I'm just yeah. saying for our coaches' poll. Like, I, I don't think in the coaches poll, regardless of the of the playoff picture, in terms of the top group of five team, um, they'll never move ahead of Cincinnati. And, and I think, you know, a one-loss uh, American champion or a one-loss Mountain West team would still have achieved more than BYU. Unless BYU, Boise's one loss comes to BYU. Um, but they're a really good story. That's a really good uh, quarterback story in Zach Wilson, who is kind of rising in national notoriety. He's still not in the fields of Lawrence maybe Mac Jones class, but um, I hope people watched him on Friday night because that fourth quarter was uh, a really good performance by him. Really good showing from the Cougars.
3: Oh no, there's no doubt. I mean, look, uh, BYU gets a lot of eyeballs because they play at funky times where they're the only team on. So um, they will have plenty of people watching every game and it's only going to pick up steam as they remain undefeated. So, now we get to number 13, North Carolina. They dropped from number six last week. They lose at Florida state 31 to 28 in a game where they were behind 31, seven at half. And they made this semi furious rally and uh, certainly had a chance to, to drive down the field and, and win or tie the game. But uh, three dropped passes at the end, just flat out drops and and it was over Florida state wins. Um, look, there's a little bit, I think of water finding its level aspect to this. I don't think anybody thought North Carolina was the sixth best team in the country, but I was surprised that Florida state was able to do this and full credit to Mike Norvell and his staff for coming a pretty long way from early in the season where they just looked awful. They, they looked solid on both sides of the ball in this game.
5: Yeah, they definitely did. And yeah, it's a early defining moment for Carolina. Ravel, and um, credit to him, not just for the preparation, tr- credit him for taking a chance on Jordan Travis, you know, the, yeah. the Louisville transfer who a lot, I, I don't think anyone really, unless you're really tuned into the program, which I hope some of our listeners are, I, I don't think anyone truly took his situation seriously as a potential starter, um, certainly for the opener coming out of the offseason, but they responded well on offense. Uh, what impressed me most is, you know, Florida state as a program is in dire straits, you know, even after North Carolina, it's still, it needs to be rebuilt and they're still in the early stages of it, but you were sitting at one and three, you're 0 and three in the ACC. Um, North Carolina as a team, obviously stronger built a little bit better at this point. So I think it would have been easy and predictable if North Carolina had come out and carried over how they played in their previous game and gone out 14, nothing, 21, nothing, and sent Florida state kind of scrambling. Uh, but they were prepared, like you said, both sides of the ball. Really high energy. Um, guys seem to be invested. And, you know, more than the win itself, that's a that's a really good marker for Norvell that he kept this team moving forward despite all those kind of hurdles and obstacles that had come their way since early September.
3: We can uh, skip over number 14, Wisconsin, number 15, Oregon, SMU number 16, that's a new high for them this season. They escaped lane in overtime. Michigan 17, Iowa State 18, Kansas State 19. Those teams did not play. The Big 12 was off. Virginia Tech, number 20. They took care of business against Boston College, 40-14. to 14. Minnesota 21. NC State making a poll debut this year, number 22. I have not watched any NC State, I, I will admit. I don't know anything about how good or bad they look because frankly they they have historically kind of bored me so maybe it's time to tune into nc
0: state <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah take a look at them. um they're gonna be down there qb for a couple weeks but uh, good rebound for doran when they seem like a little bit in trouble coming out of last season
3: 23 usc trojans number 24 coastal carolina welcome to the poll coastal carolina you just graduated to fbs like a few years ago and here you are in the top 25. Good for them. 4-0.
5: Yeah, great for them. Good win against uh, Louisiana. Um, yeah, Coastal. I mean, Coastal Carolina, this is a this. – they're the second Sun Belt team to make their coaches' poll um, debut, right? Because it wasn't – weren't the Cajuns? That was their first as yeah, well. Yeah, that was their first in. time, yep. Right, so very cool. Good for the Sun Belt. That's a better league than a lot of people think.
3: And then Marshall, number 25. All right, let's talk about it just briefly a couple teams that have dropped out of the top 25 Auburn Mm. Auburn loses to South Carolina. They are out of the top 25. Look, I've been fairly consistent from the beginning of the season that nobody is going to fire their coach. Nobody's going to pay big buyouts. It's just the financial realities are just too great, but I will say, a couple more games like that, and I do think Auburn may, may have to make a move.
5: Yeah, that was ugly. They hadn't lost to South Carolina since, uh, you know, right after FDR got it got inaugurated. So it's been a while. Um, not really much to say. All you can say is Auburn lost to South Carolina, and I think our, our, our listeners know exactly what that means. Terrible performance. Uh, you expected development and growth from Bo Nix. You've seen neither. It's either.
0: so
3: inconsistent.
5: Yeah, it's just, it's tired. It's tired, and if I was an Auburn fan, I would just be tired of this, just tired of it.
3: Um, Tennessee falls out of the top 25. They got shellacked by Kentucky. That's another team with quarterback issues and questions. Jared Garantano uh, just did not get the job done. Some early turnovers kind of doomed their fate in that game. Uh, Obviously, they're just not quite – where um, they can compete at the top of the sec and then UCF, UCF is getting one vote in the coaches poll. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a very fun, entertaining game against Memphis, a game they lost 50 to 49 missed a field goal at the end of that game, 40 yarder that would have given them the lead. And I'll tell you what, um, if I'm a UCF fan, I'm a little worried because they're only nine and five in their last 14 games they seem to be gradually backsliding under Josh Heupel. And they had an incident at the end of the game where the kicker misses the field goal, goes to the sideline. He's upset. He's punching the wall. And then the backup quarterback comes over and says something to him and he goes nuts and like comes after him. And there was almost a fight that broke out on the sideline. To me, that's a, that's a big red flag. Like just the culture, at UCF, what's going on there.
5: Yeah, this is my, um, that's a huge concern. The win loss record, the downturn, obviously concerning the defense. defense, Like here's my problem. It's very specific, but this is, this is a coaching problem. UCF in the second half, first drive, 75 yards, touchdown, second drive, 71 yards, ends in a fumble, but they're about to score fourth drive, touchdown, fifth drive, touchdown. They get the ball back. They're up by five points. Okay. With three minutes left, 340 left, up by five, all they've done for the second half is just move the football, dominate the clock, and score. That's all they've done. Run the ball, run the ball, pass, punt. It's 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 just it's predictable because coaches get into a shell when they're in this kind of situation. But to me, that's just a lack of awareness about what you need to do to win the football game when it's 49-44, um, it shows that you don't have confidence in your guys in the end to just deliver. Like they have been the entire game. And I think that reflects really poorly on Hypel, who in a number of ways that those decisions lost the game for UCF, because if he had just stuck to his script and not play the equivalent on offense of a prevent defense, I think UCF wins that game. So miss field goal, whatever. I thought Hypel took the game away from his offense when they had a chance to put it away with like three minutes left in the fourth.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. But that's, the thing is when you don't have a good defense the margin for error is so small and it just seems to be really small for UCF maybe some of the breaks that went their way in previous years aren't going their way now and uh, they're they're out of the race really for the AAC title yeah, at this done. point so mm-hmm. uh, but that was uh, definitely an entertaining game and uh, good job by Memphis they had lost to UCF 13 times in a row before winning that game so i know that
5: i didn't, that I didn't know that yeah that was wild when i saw that on the screen during the game i had no idea so yeah and great. a lot of so those games there. have been crazy
3: like close mm-hmm. you know so memphis will certainly do right
5: yeah for sure so yeah they had like combined 1100 yards passing that game so a lot of fun but uh certainly winnable for ucf multiple times very winnable
3: all right let's uh, talk to steve berkowitz and bob ladenville about some coaching
4: contracts
5: Yeah, let's
4: do it. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Positive mental
3: attitude leads to good performance and success. Let the sunshine in and improve your overall attitude with N by Neutralite Rays for Days Vitamin D Sunny Gummies. They're rich in vitamin D plus saffron to help offset the negative effects due to lack of sunshine. So have a sunny outlook and enjoy. Plus, they're vegetarian friendly and free from all the nasties of artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners. Change your attitude with N by Neutralite Rays for Days Gummies. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how mental attitude leads to better performance from clinical investigator Dr. Jennifer Chang, Ph.D. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
4: Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolkin and Paul Meyerberg. On this week's edition of the Inside the Amway
3: Coaches Poll podcast, we've got a little bit of a different Uh, interview segment Uh, we don't have a coach but what we do have steve berkowitz my colleague from usa today sports and bob latinville an attorney uh, with spencer Fain, represents universities and coaches uh, really knows the landscape of contracts and that's what we're going to talk about today because this week was the release of the usa today sports annual coaching salary database and a particularly interesting This year, because we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously colleges and athletic departments have been cutting uh, budgets right and left. And we've seen this parade over the last few months of announcements that coaches were either giving back voluntarily or having cut from their salaries, a certain percentage of, of their contract uh, so so that the athletic department could uh, maybe not have severe cuts elsewhere. But, uh, as, as you reported, Steve, some of these cuts are not exactly the way that the schools portrayed them.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's happened is in some instances that coaches are being given consideration for taking the cuts in this fiscal year. So with Texas, uh, they worked out an arrangement with Tom Herman to take a pay cut that would result in about, uh, $500,000 a five hundred thousand plus uh, deduction from his from his pay, but they also uh, worked into that agreement that he would get that money back at some point between now and the time that his contract ends. Um, similarly, uh, North Carolina, in making an arrangement with Mac Brown for a pay cut now, uh, as consideration for that, they agreed to extend his contract by one month, which of course increases the guaranteed value of the deal if he doesn't complete it so there is some consideration being given for these guys uh, taking these reductions and helping out in this current fiscal year bob can you just give us a little insight on you know how these conversations were taking
3: place over the last several months because obviously you know these coaches they have a lot of power uh, they have a lot of leverage we see that in contract negotiations time and time again with, with schools but you know this is a case where uh, you know, these athletic departments really are crunched in, in terms of, of, of their budget. They're losing huge amounts of revenue. It, why does it seem like maybe, you know, the coaches got uh, protected to, to some degree or, you know, or, or is this a fairly significant uh, give back by these coaches uh, to, to the schools? Yeah, that's a great question. I
2: I would say this, just in summary, the, the give backs aren't ceremonial, but, at this point, it doesn't seem like um, they're going to be uh, a material uh, drop in the bucket when it comes to the COVID-related deficit. And right, so right. that begs the question, what, what is that? And so when you think that most, Steve talked about fiscal years with, with Texas, but you think about like, most schools' budgets are usually getting wrapped up around March and April. And we were at the, you know, the advent of, of COVID in the United States. So understandably, there's some panic there. And you're thinking, all right, well... By the time fall rolls around, we should be okay. We should be get, getting back to playing football. At least that was the prevailing thought at, at that time. And so you just assume that, you know, that there was going to be enough conference money there to cover the coach's salary. But as we got further along, that looked to be in jeopardy. So I would tell you this, it kind of went like this. It was ebb and flow. so in, in April and May, we were setting the budget, like, all right, well, it looks like we might have to ask our coaches to, to take a pay cut. So they started having those conversations. They didn't say it was for sure there was a spike in COVID related, not only deaths, but, but infections. And then, so those conversations got more seriously and they roughly set the mark at that point, anywhere from 25 and like 20%. And then, you know, most recently we've got most of the conferences playing, particularly the power five. So, you know, how much money they're going to, they're going to get, they don't know. So how big is the, is the COVID deficit? So I would tell you, it, it was so much more art than it was science. And, but I would tell you, probably the uh, the cuts that they made, although not ceremonial, are going to be essentially throwing pennies at dollars when you look at what the, the deficit is.
3: How difficult uh, are those conversations? Because we know that coaches, you know, they have agents and uh, agents are very skilled at, at negotiating. It, it's been said, I think, in our industry and in the media a lot of times that these athletic directors are are basically just sort of ill-equipped you know, to to do negotiations like that. There are some schools that, that have actual contract negotiators uh, for these deals, very very few. But when you're in this environment, just how tough is it to ask somebody to take less money?
2: It's, it's difficult. I think two of the, the most difficult things that athletic directors do, and they're the probably most important, is one, ask people for money, and then ask coaches to take pay cuts. Those are the two most difficult things that, that they do. But I would say, at least in, in my experience this summer, and I'd say in maybe 15 different instances, I was on the coach's side and probably five or six. Um, myself, our, our firm represented the university. Uh, there, was a, there was an expectation that it was coming. And then the question was, as always, the devil's in the details. So if I take a pay cut, how does that affect my 403B contribution? Or my later on retirement benefits? Or am I better off from a tax perspective taking a pay cut or making a contribution to the university's athletic fund, but whatever it may be. So, once everybody recognized that there was going to be some belt tightening, particularly when they saw other folks in the athletic to pro- program that were either let go or furloughed, taking a five, ten, or fifteen percent pay cut seemed like a, a good deal.
3: So, is the story outlined? Basically, a lot of these schools. When they said, "Okay, we're going to reduce some of these, or, or have a twenty percent cut in pay for this year," the twenty percent is based on the, the 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 base salary, which is smaller than the total package, which in many cases is paid for by a private university fundraising arm. What is the reason, or what's the incentive for for either Bob or Steve? What's the incentive for the school? Uh, t- to do it that way is it just you know, trying to stay you know to curry favor with with
0: the coach? Well, I think if, depending on how you're, when you're how you're dealing with it, it, you know, it's either trying to actually you know get back some significant dollars, or you know, I think there's obviously some uh, PR value in doing it. Uh, you know, in some instances, some of these reductions were taken against only the base salary. In some instances, they were taken against the total the total package. I mean, I think it's sort of how you want, what What are the dollars that the school is trying to get back and then sort of working it from there about what's the best way to sort it out in the end. Uh, there were also instances where coaches were taking percentages of pay for fixed periods of time, some of which are already done. Uh, others were going to be lasting throughout uh, the entirety of the school's fiscal years. And for the most part, the school's fiscal years are different from the coach's contract years. So there were a whole bunch of different ways that, that schools were, were going about it um, and packaging it in a, in a bunch of different ways. And I think you're going to continue to see that uh, go on as we keep going forward, that they're you're going to continue to see this. So the, uh, uh, the Wisconsin State Journal uh, just yesterday reported that at Wisconsin, there, will, there the school is seeking additional reductions from Paul Christ and Greg Gard and their athletics director, uh, Barry Alvarez, because those, those cuts were supposed to uh, come, were supposed to stop being in effect in November. And the school now appears, apparently wants to continue those reductions through February. So this, this is going to continue to be a moving target.
2: That's a really good point. And I would also say there, there's some more nuance to it as well. Um, so if, if, for example, you're, you're taking in the aggregate in terms of dollars, Dan, you know, $100,000 off the books, there's an additional benefit that the university gets sometimes it's exponential but one thing they don't have to pay fica tax on that the employer's portion of, of that tax right so but often if i represent the coach i'd much rather them take the deduction from the other compensation or the supplemental compensation is how steve and i refer to it in the methodology because oftentimes it's the base compensation that is the number the multiple can against which the 403b contributions are measured right so if i'm on the other side of the table I'd rather take it from the supplemental comp as opposed to the base. And sometimes, depending upon the retirement plan, the 403B plan, they merge the two for purposes of of the uh, contributory uh, payment. But it it just kind of depends. And it it sounds cliche, but it's true. Every university and every coach is different about that. So it's not just the nominal amount. There are tax consequences that add to uh, how much someone is saving or how much someone is losing.
3: One of the great things about the annual coaches compensation package that we do in USA Today Sports every year is that if you follow it year by year, you can really see how the industry has changed, how the budgets have changed, how the coaching salaries have es- have escalated. You know, I remember... million was a benchmark. And then all of a sudden, you know, that benchmark gets raised and raised and raised. I I remember the one year I wrote a column, every coach in the sec West was making 4 million a year, you know, and then now that's a little bit passe. Uh, From what you guys have been able to ascertain, do you think that COVID is a one year disruption in the chart line, which is, been going one direction for years and years and years, or do you think that there is going to be a period of leveling off because these mega contracts might not make sense in a post-COVID world?
2: So here's here's my my thinking on on that. Um, I, I think just just like the stock market, it it's a correction, um, but I do think that salaries ultimately will escalate. But I but I think that they the structure of deals will change a little bit. Here's my thinking on it. I think you'll see a lot more performance-based pay and not pay just based on random performance. It has to be performance that's tied to some sort of revenue generating model. So you just don't get, you know, an extra 10% for going to a bowl game when the bowl game costs you money to attend. It's gotta be a circumstance where if you achieve this level of performance, it's tied to a revenue stream. And we're going to pay you based upon what we determine your contribution is to us gaining that revenue. I think- college football teams are going to get a lot more and and the athletic departments are going to get a lot more circumspect about, about that. And they're going to tie a performance to revenue. And so if you're talking about, you know, professional football coaches, you don't see a lot of bonuses for a host of reasons. A lot of times, you know, the the GMs will say, Hey, look, do I really have to pay you a bonus for you to perform at your highest level? Because the fact of the matter, if you didn't, you know, you're going to get fired. But I think in college, that's how they're going to make up the difference. So I don't see, as much as much guaranteed money, I don't see the payouts being as big, which is another thing that Berko tracks. But no one does a good job on that, and that's really, really important. That's your guarantee. I think those numbers are going to come down, and I think you'll see maybe in the aggregate the same or increasing numbers, but the structure of the deal will be different.
3: Yeah,
0: Berko, what do you think? Um, I think it remains to be seen. It's going to be how long does the, do these financial impacts last for the universities. Uh, Brian Hayline, who's the chief medical officer for the NCAA, uh, was saying today on a on a uh, as part of a panel discussion that was presented by the Aspen Institute. And I was just writing a story about this as we were getting ready to do this. Uh, Brian Hayline was is, you know was articulating the idea that these financial impacts are going to be felt in college sports through tw- into 2023, and so you know if if you have that kind of a lingering impact. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, you may begin to see uh, these kinds of, of impacts uh, linger in coaching contracts that get negotiated between now and then, you know, what happens with deals that are currently in place and call for certain uh, increases. I'm not sure that there's going to be a lot that the schools can do about that. And that's going to continue to, you know, drive those, those the value of those contracts up uh, but what happens with new contracts that, you know, that may be a little bit different ballgame like what Bob was talking about.
3: And, of course, this is all happening within the context of name, image, and likeness legislation filtering its way through the NCAA and through Congress. At some point, those two things are, are going to meet. The NCAA has uh, just petitioned the Supreme Court uh, to hear an appeal in the Austin case. And you've got, it seems like, more interest on Capitol Hill in – building some sort of regulatory framework for college sports that would be fairly comprehensive, even beyond name, image, and likeness. And when you hear the way some of these senators and congressmen talk, uh, the issue of coaching pay does come up. And, you know, is there a way to, to regulate through legislation, the way that that schools allocate those funds um, how much are schools worried about that at this point? And is there anything that, that is potentially on the horizon in a, in a regulatory package that would deal with coaching salaries?
0: Well, it would seem to me Bob will know this better since he's a member of the bar. Uh, uh, but it would seem to me that if, if Congress is that concerned over college coaches pay uh, and, and how you deal with that, then you grant the colleges an antitrust exemption for the purpose of regulating compensation. Um, you know, that you're you, not, the schools aren't going to be able to do that on their own. Uh, but if you're, if you have a law to that effect, then yeah, you can. The issue is going to be trying to make sure, okay, if, if con- you know, Congress is fine, we'll give you that ability to cap compensation. What are you going to do with the money? You're going to, you're going to turn that money into something where the athletes benefit more or that, you know, you will enable athletes to get greater quote unquote compensation, or are you going to take that additional money and, you know, add another doodad to the locker room? Or are you going to actually turn more money back to the university? Will the uh, surplus of revenue over expense be such that the athletics departments could give more money back to the university as a whole.
2: Steve spot Steve spot on. I, I I think that's exactly right. I think you you would have to have an antitrust exemption. And as you guys will all recall, it's probably fifteen years ago now, the restricted earnings case. And <clears throat> that was essentially a garden variety price fix. You you couldn't pay whatever it might have been the, the graduate assistant or the third assistant more than sixteen thousand dollars or whatever it is. And so it's the same principle. I also think that there's going to be an antitrust problem or could be an antitrust problem with regard to name, image, and likeness to the extent that you try to restrict the athletes to signing agreements with uh, those sponsors that already have one with the school that, that are that are competitive. You know, what's the way around it? Well, you probably borrow, or at least I, I think the way around it is to borrow kind of the professional sports model where it's a group licensing deal. I think that's that's probably something that also is Title IX friendly, which is something that, um, that they're going to have to consider. And so probably, <clears throat> regrettably for everybody, but but the lawyers, there are just a host of legal issues that accompany uh, NIL. And I also think, um, for, for, for what it, it, it may be worth, is there will be sponsors out there that do university-wide deals that recognize, and I'm sure they already have, it's like, you know, do I really need to sponsor head to toe the entire athletic department, or can I just get, three of the starters from Duke's basketball team and get as much traction, if not more than paying for all the other non-revenue sports and, and pay a lot less uh, overall. So I think that's something that's going to have to be, to be uh, worked out. Um, and and then there's a host of it. And I think administrative issues that, that deal with policing uh, potential recruiting violations. Um, but I, I do think as, as Steve suggested, in order for it to, to really run like a, a, a free capital market, um, you know, you're going to have to embrace that. Or if you're going to have restrictions, you're probably going to need some antitrust exemption in, in order for that to, uh, to, to place what, what otherwise would be artificial restrictions on, on
0: that process. Yeah, I mean, because absent, absent a governor on the, like a, a governor on this deal on, on these salaries, there's inevitably going to be a college athletics program that decides it wants a particular guy and they're prepared to pay that guy whatever. And if they can find 20 boosters to each put up a certain amount of money, then, and they want that guy, that's, they're going to pay the guy, whatever, whatever that is.
2: I think that, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And, I, and I've seen, seen the arguments on, on both sides of this. And one of my favorite people to talk about this is Jay Billis. I mean, he's, sharp guy and I think he's he's really been at the forefront of pushing some much needed legislation along. But the but the one thing I will say is I, I think most student athletes are are kidding themselves. Right. I was a average to terrible college football player and the only people that care that 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 I was playing were my mom and dad. And that's most college athletes. And so if you're like you know if you're a starter at Duke or maybe even coming off the bench on their basketball team, yeah, you've got some marquee value. But, you know, if you're the, the backup guard at State U, does, does that move the economic needle for some sponsor? Not really. Maybe with regard to, to recruiting, but does it really matter? who You know, I, I would say not. And one of the things I think is important is, you know, the, the, the student-athletes have to recognize that, in my opinion, they have, they have to. Uh, and most of the time I'm representing athletes, but I've got my university cap on this time. They're not going to have the opportunity – to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, but for the structure that the university set up. So right now, they're not gonna let them use the, the logos, the trademarks of the universities. But how about granting them that, that opportunity and license it to them? They look, if you're gonna do a deal for whatever it may be, pay us a licensing fee, somewhere between, between five and as much as 20%. But if, you, if, if you're gonna advertise for the local Chevy dealer, All right. Well, we're going to let you wear the Mizzou patch, whatever it may be, but you're going to pay a licensing fee for it. And I think that's kind of a win-win. And it's also, I think, a a recognition of the reality is, but for the fact that the university has gone to great length and expense to set up this opportunity for exposure, you'd never have that in another, in another context, unless you were a professional athlete.
3: Last thing, and then we'll wrap this up Uh, as you guys reported at least 15 head coaches, uh, if they were fired this year, would have a buyout of $20 million uh, or more. Uh, 18 more coaches would be $10 million to buy out. Uh, given this year, you know, or I should say going into this season, as I talked to sources in the industry, they were very skeptical that any school would pay that kind of buyout this year given the financial environment. But, of course, college football being what it is, teams start playing, they start losing, the fan bases start to get anxious, the athletic director starts to take some heat. Do we think that there will be a $10 million or $20 million buyout this year? Hey, here's what
2: Here's what. My, my two cents, perhaps it's all it's worth. Yeah, somebody's going to do it. There's, there's going to be some Power 5 school that's frustrated with the performance of their football team, and they're going to bite the bullet and pay for it, and they're they're going to they're going to leverage themselves by doing it. But yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. And they're probably going to look at it this way, Dan. I'm like, all right, well, it's going to cost a lot, but I'm in a much better market because I'm not going to have to compete with all the other schools that think it's ridiculous to, to try to do that or don't have the opportunity. But yeah, I, I is is fiscally irresponsible as that may sound. There, there are going to be some advantages to being in this market because I think it's going to be a much smaller market. The, the demand is going to be down. So maybe you can get a better deal by, by bringing in the, the, other, the next new coach. I don't,
0: Steve, know I, don't will pony up. I don't know that somebody will pony up $20 million to, to buy out somebody, but you know, I think emotion gets a lot into this and, you know, so while on the one hand uh, an athletics director may be thinking, wow, this is not fiscally, responsible. On the other hand, they say, well, geez, you know, we don't know what the future looks like right now in terms of getting fans into the stadium. And so, you know, like what fans we can get into the stadium. It's like, you know, we really, it's really important for everybody to feel good about where we are as a program. So yeah, it's going to hurt us to do this now, but you know, we'll finance it and we'll spread the cost out over time. And, you know, yeah, it doesn't look great, but it's even more important in the current environment to keep the fan base you know, to keep the fan base plugged in. And, and so, you know, so we'll, we'll do it. All right, guys, this has really
3: been a fascinating conversation, really interesting stuff and and great work as always on the USA Today Sports coaching salary database, Bob Latinville, Steve Berkowitz. Thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Take care.
4: Thanks for having me on, Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports.
3: All right, thanks to Steve Berkowitz, Bob Latinville, for going through some of the coaching salary stuff. Let's move on to the games next week. There's not a mega matchup next week, but it is a huge week because the Big Ten comes back, as well as the Mountain West. But, but the Big Ten, baby, the Big Ten is back.
5: Yeah, and we get those ten o'clock, ten fifteen, ten thirty kicks, um, which is big time because I don't know about you guys listening. It's been weird to shut things off at eleven forty, you know, and have nothing to watch after that point. So it's gonna feel like a real traditional college football weekend starts at noon, ends around two a.m., two thirty.
3: Yeah, I I, I got to admit, I always have a little trouble staying up for those games.
5: I, I well, you're I mean, an early riser, right? You're like one. You're like a. You're like a.
3: I'm usually up at six.
5: Person. Six. Up at six. six. Yeah. Like, God. Yeah, I need these late games to uh, to, to get me going. Um, big Ten coming back is the big storyline, obviously, but there's no real Big Ten game here that you're circling necessarily as a great matchup. Um, but Michigan-Minnesota, probably the closest to being the can't-miss game, but it's not the game of the week, I don't think.
3: Which trophy is that, Michigan-Minnesota?
5: Uh, Jug? Is that a jug? Is that the little brown jug? I think so.
3: Let's let we gotta look that's that up. There is a trophy involved.
5: That is a little brown jug. Yeah,
3: that's what I thought. Yeah,
5: the jug is a real piece of shit, by the way. I mean, excuse my language. It's just a piece. It's just a piece of junk. Like you wouldn't. It wouldn't hold anything. Um, and it doesn't really mean anything anyway. Who cares about these two programs? They're both going to go like somewhere between five and five and seven and three, and, and who cares? <laughs> All right. I mean, let's just be reasonable. Let's just be reasonable and be honest about it. uh Michigan doesn't have a shot against Ohio State. Uh everyone's gonna be pissed. Minnesota's not gonna be nearly as good on a proportional basis as they were last year. I mean this is a seven thirty game like by default. Uh, neither one of these teams really is gonna be a factor in my opinion. All
3: right, well let's start with uh noon. Ohio State, we're going to get our first look at the Buckeyes. They're playing Nebraska. Nebraska was very upset that they're having to start the season on the road at Ohio State, uh, although I'm not really sure why. Like, you're going to have to play Ohio <laughs> State in to play. Anyway. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, that never really made sense to me. Um, but um, they've got no shot in this game, do they?
5: No, I mean, they're like 24, 20-whatever-point 20 underdogs. I mean, Ohio State came back. To win a national championship. Part of winning a national championship is dominating a team like Nebraska and sending a message that we're back and, and we're here to take what's ours. And so I expect Ohio State to to put a beating on Nebraska, which is an average, another average team, but um, not even in the same I don't know, ballpark as Ohio State. I mean, whatever's bigger than ballpark. they not even in the same national park as Ohio State.
3: Also noon, Clemson. They've got Syracuse at home. Syracuse is a dumpster fire right now. This is going to be another name your score game for Clemson. NC State at North Carolina. The Tar Heels really need to bounce back. Uh, Kansas, Kansas State, no real intrigue in in that one. Uh, Florida State. We'll see how they look coming off the big win. They, they go to Louisville, as you mentioned in the first segment. Louisville's better than their record suggests. Louisville's actually going to be favored in this game early uh line is right around the touchdown uh, I don't know if Florida State uh, if they keep improving at the rate they've been improving I think they got a chance to win this one
5: yeah for sure I, I mean uh, I don't know if I'd pick Florida State to win um but I mean come on you wouldn't be surprised if they beat louisville I mean look at the way they played for 30 something minutes or close to 40 minutes on Saturday against NC uh UNC so Florida State can easily win this game if they do then I think there's gonna be a lot of people really getting on the bandwagon for for Norvell and, and what this program can do going forward the
3: 330 CBS game Alabama Tennessee uh, don't really know what there is to say other than one team is a whole lot better than the other one I, I mean Tennessee's lost this game like a whole bunch of years in a row it's not really a rivalry anymore to anyone outside the state of Tennessee and Butch Jones, at the end of the night, intern Butch Jones is going to have a cigar in his mouth.
5: Yes, yes, he is. Um, and that picture will be all Texas, over the internet. Yeah, and it's still going to be a thing. This is not a good matchup for Tennessee. I mean, this, this, is, this is the same thing we've said for years. This is going to be a loss. It's just a matter of how bad it gets. How bad it gets. I, I would like to say that Pittsburgh is going to beat Notre Dame. Oh, God. In fact, I'm just no. going to say it. Pittsburgh is going to beat Notre Dame. This is going to be that kind of day. Pittsburgh is going to win 23-19. Notre Dame is going to be like minus three, minus two in turnover. It's going to like miss two field goals and look terrible, but they're going to win. They're going to beat Notre Dame.
3: All right. Save the clip on that one. Um, 3.30 on Fox. Iowa State at Oklahoma State, really the first big test for Oklahoma State. Uh, They have been, I would say, a somewhat unimpressive 3-0, 3 and 0. They got the job done against Tulsa, West Virginia and Kansas. Those are three teams that are not nearly as good as Iowa State. What do you think's going to happen there?
5: Yeah, I think Iowa State is is better than Oklahoma State. I don't I think Oklahoma State like is their number whatever in our poll. Like, can you remind me? Well, I know we said it. Are they number 6.
3: No, Iowa State? Number 7. Oh, Oklahoma State?
5: No, oh, Oklahoma no. State.
3: Uh, you're going to force me to look this up again. I, I had it on my screen, and then it
5: – I could do it. I just I just don't know why I'm just – Keep talking.
3: Me. I'll find it in a second.
5: So I think Iowa State um, is a really good team. I think that they lost to a, to a to a good Louisiana team. If they played them again, you'd expect Iowa State to win that, you know, eight out of ten times. Um, if I had to pick right now who's going to win the Big 12, I think it is Iowa State, certainly with Kansas State losing Skylar Thompson for indefinitely and having to play a freshman QB. Um, I think this is Iowa State's year. Um, Oklahoma State, it's its just hard to peg them and hard to predict them. They've played nobody. They haven't had Spencer Sanders at quarterback. Um, they've done fine. They haven't beaten anyone. because I think Iowa State's just in a better groove and in a better rhythm than Oklahoma State that's had to play in fits and starts and without their stars. So I take Iowa State, and Iowa State, if they're 4-0 in the Big 12, um, it would be hard to see even – I mean, they have tiebreakers against a couple other contenders. It would be hard to see Iowa State not reach the Big 12 championship game, in my opinion, if they're sitting at 4-0, having beaten the Cowboys on Saturday. You are
3: right, by the way. Oklahoma State is number six this week. Uh, I forgot to mention a couple other noon games, and I just sort of glossed over them. Um, Auburn at Ole Miss, I I would say sort of a sneaky big game for Auburn. Ole Miss lost to Arkansas. Their offense – uh kind of got exposed a little bit six interceptions for Matt Corral great job by Arkansas in that game but um I don't want to say there's a must win but this feels like kind of a must win for Auburn you know and then Oklahoma at TCU I don't think that's the team you really want to play on the road when you're trying to find find your rhythm but that's what they got to go do
5: yeah um Auburn Ole Miss interests me because of the uh the uh, car crash um likelihood of just witnessing a disaster for auburn so that i'm greatly interested in that um this is the tuberville bowl um future u.s senator tommy tuberville um his for- two former SEC programs um so uh i don't know why i mentioned him other than i i actually i see a lot of his commercials um but uh yeah this is this is just Auburn all Miss Auburn's trash all Miss is exciting but they can't stop anybody and you know I'm not that int- I don't know why I'm just talking about it. I'm not even that interested in this game except for the fact that Auburn might lose and then the internet will be fun that's the only thing that I care about otherwise the game bores me honestly all
3: right let's uh talk about a game that, that might be somewhat interesting but I also want to ask you a big picture perspective Penn State is opening at Indiana uh Basically, Penn State's a touchdown favorite in this game. Indiana's kind of a sneaky, decent team. But I, I want to ask more just sort of big picture. What do you expect out of Penn State this year? You're, you're pretty close to that program.
5: Yeah, I think Penn State's going to be the second best team in the Big Ten. Um, obviously, there's competition for that, and, and that comes with this disclaimer. I think being the second best team in the Big Ten does not mean that you are closer to number one than you are to, say, number five. I think it's vice versa. I think Penn State is probably closer to let's say Michigan is your fourth best team. I think that's like they're closer to Michigan than they are to Ohio State. I think Ohio State is way too talented for anybody. But Penn State's very good. And and I think that they're building – it's hard to say when they or if they are going to pass in Ohio State, but I I think they're just like – if they could strike it rich at QB or find this All-American guy at a skill position, they could be right there with Ohio State in a given year. Um, This is not that year, but I think they've got a chance to be seven and two when all is said and done. Um, having lost the East and then playing a team like Iowa in that big 10 championship weekend. Do
3: you you think Franklin is in it for the long haul? Because look, just realistically speaking, and it may not be this year, but Texas could come open at some point in the near future. USC could come open again at some point in the near future. Do we think that he would be tempted by any of those? Or do you think he's kind of just that Penn state's his place?
5: Yeah. I, I think there's this like, um, I don't know where it's birthed from. Maybe it's just from his agent does the same work as every other agent and, and, and helps his his guy get raises. Um, Franklin always gets mentioned with these big time jobs. And I think that's a reflection of how successful he is and how people think that if he was at USC, that he would dominate. I think he's really invested in Penn state and and I've gotten that impression from day one, you know, he's not, you know, a Penn state guy, but he's a Pennsylvania guy He's where he grew up. He grew up in this state. He was surrounded by Penn state people, you know, in his, you just being in Philadelphia. This is your team. This is the state's team. So I think there was an investment in that regard with the university and with the program. And I think that he's invested to the point where I I just don't think Franklin leaves before having some sort of achievement. And you could say what that achievement is And maybe it's a national championship, or maybe it's a play off birth, but I see him leaving the program that he's created, you know, just to go to USC because USC is available. In other words, I, I think he's in it for – you never say forever because you can't really say that about anybody, but I think he's in it for as much as the long haul as that means in 2020. Whether that's four or five, six more years, I, I'd be surprised if he's not around for it.
3: Sneaky big game, two teams that are not ranked, but Houston at Navy. Navy, after that just awful start and they lost to Air Force, look up they're 3-0 and in the American. So playing Houston – is pretty huge in terms of the Western division Uh, Baylor at Texas. I don't even know what to say about Texas at this point. It's, it is what it is, right? I mean, Yeah,
5: it is. It is what it is. I mean, it is what it is. Everyone um, knows that means it is what it is. It's Texas.
3: uh, South Carolina goes to LSU big, big one for LSU. Another sort of must win type of situation. And then we uh we talked about Michigan, Minnesota. Again, there's not a ton, but there should be some good like late night action in the group of five. Cincinnati at SMU. Two undefeated teams. I, I'll tell you, how many of the, the schools in Texas would trade their coach right now for Sonny Dykes?
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean this is a Dallas football team. Sonny Dykes is uh you talk about a guy who's invested. I mean he's invested in making SMU into a powerhouse, so yeah, I think there are probably a few programs in that state who would retire and and think, "Hey, is this would that be an upgrade? Um, this is the game of the year in the group of five, Cincinnati at SMU, and I think maybe going in, we thought whenever Cincinnati met UCF, or whenever maybe even UCF met Memphis this past week was the game of the year. But this is it um, because the winner is like with Iowa State, just kind of on cruise control to the conference championship. They might rematch, but the winner is the be all, take all. Number One group of five team heading into the home stretch, no doubt.
3: And then I guess the last one we'll mention. Utah State at Boise State, two of the teams that just over the last half dozen years or so have have been at the top uh, of the mountain West. That's a pretty good opener for for both and a game that uh, you know I think if you're Boise State and you're playing at home, you're you're obviously the favorite. But I don't think I'd love to open with Utah State.
5: Yeah, Utah State's a, a, a good, you know, first half, top tier Mountain West team. But this is Boise State's conference. They're going to dominate the Mountain West this year. I don't, I don't think they're going to slip up to start. Um, there are a few teams in the conference who conceivably could get them. Like, I mean, obviously anyone could get them on, a, on an individual week. But, I mean, the bigger picture for the Mountain West. Yeah, I think Air Force is pretty good. Um, San Diego State is always competitive I think Wyoming is going to be very good And obviously Nevada Um, Jay Norvell's done a good job there But Boise is the team to beat in the Mountain West this year As in the past So look for them I mean, they've got a couple really nice young skill players So keep an eye on Boise as a top 25 team this year And
3: you just mentioned San Diego State really quick A lot of people may not remember this But Brady Hoke is their head coach
5: Mm Mm-hmm yeah, I talked to Brady this uh, like in May, maybe, or May or June. I mean, who knows anymore. It could have been like in 2014. I don't really truly remember to be exact. But no, I did talk to him this offseason. Gotta remember like Rocky Long did a fantastic job. And this is not to detract like at all. I mean, it really shouldn't because Rocky Long took it and took it and, and built it in a, in a to even bigger heights. But Brady Hoke is the one who got San Diego State pointed in this direction. I mean, this is what got him the Michigan job. Do I have that timing right? It was Ball State to San Diego State to yeah. Michigan. I think. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. But he wasn't there so, that, that long. Yeah, yeah. I think he did three years. Um, again, this is like. No, it was a thing just two. It was just two. At, not...
3: It was it was two at San Diego State.
5: It was two. Yeah, so. Uh, but he did. He did yeah. very well.
3: I, I mean, mean, he went four and eight his first year, and then turned it around. Went nine and four a second year.
5: Yeah. And he they haven't him. taken a dip since. So, I mean, it's kind of, then he then he's back and, and getting the head job again, the story of Rocky long leaving and then coming back to be the defensive coordinator at New Mexico. Very interesting. My, this is on a tangent. I've never met a head coach in our, my years of covering the sport and I've met most of them. I've never met a head coach who seemed to dislike being a head coach more than Rocky long. Um, so he's back in his comfort level as being a defensive coordinator for Danny Gonzalez, who is first year guy at New Mexico, um, which gave Brady Hook the chance to, you know, he's not going to turn this into a power five gig again. I think that that window is closed, but um, it's cool to see him get another shot to be a head coach because outside of Michigan, I mean, even including his first year or two at Michigan, um, he's been pretty successful. So pretty cool.
3: Well, I will say I did not plan on talking about Brady Hoke today, so that feels like a good place to end the podcast. Hope everybody enjoys the games uh, this week. A lot to talk about, as always, and come back next week. We'll have another edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan
4: Walken. and have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Jennifer Chuang, clinical researcher and nutrition investigator. Ever wonder why football is mostly played outdoors? Good mental attitude leads to great performance. Spending too much time indoors and not getting enough sunlight is detrimental to good mental attitude. Humans were designed to be outside. Exposure to sun helps the body produce vitamin D, which regulates mood, helps healthy metabolism, and builds strong bones. Lack of sunlight can have adverse impacts on your overall health. The ubiquitous use of sunscreen and the increase in time spent indoors limits our exposure to the sun, which is the ultimate source of vitamin D. Long known as the sunshine vitamin, vitamin D supplements can help us tackle the lack of sunshine and support our immunity. N by neutralite Rays for Days gummies, offer a unique blend of vitamin D from sheep's wool and saffron, long known as the mood-boosting spice. Even when you can't go outside to play the game, get your outside on with Rays for Days from N by Neutralite.